0: Light of Infinite. When I was living in Bushwick, New York, my roommate Aaron, an old childhood friend of mine, would always watch Arrested Development. Seeing it in passing, I didn't fully get the epicness of the show and its humor. When I gave it a real chance, I was hooked. I think it even topped Seinfeld on how brilliant it was. As I write this, so many lines are circling in my head, but one that sticks out is George Bluth Sr., reassuring his son Michael Bluth, the main character, that there's always money in the banana stand. When Michael hears this, he interprets it to mean that the banana stand that the family owns will always make money, not realizing why his father kept winking at him while he was saying it, missing the actual message that there are literally thousands of dollars in cash hidden in the walls of the stand. Michael only realized this after the stand was burned down in a misguided attempt to get insurance reimbursement for it. Wisdom can come in all kinds of ways. Even a comedy show can reflect profound teachings. The lesson here is that we have to be careful in assessing where true wealth comes from. We tend to think that money comes to us through cunning, but the Torah comes to teach us that all is in the hands of Hashem, and that all is there for us, it's just a matter of tapping into the reality and not missing the message or burning it down. We learn in Likutei Maran, Hashem's light which descends upon us is in an unformed state. It's up to us to create a vessel with which to receive this light, so that it can take shape within and through us. If a person's vessel is faulty, they won't know the true meaning of money in the banana stand they just won't come to the realization of where their wealth can be found. It doesn't mean the light won't come to that person, but that person won't have the capacity to shape the light into a blessing. That's why it's written, It is a blessing that I have taken, because it's up to each person to perfect their vessel, so that they can receive Hashem's blessing. We cannot choose our blessings, or how much light we will receive, but we can continually work to make ourselves vessels that are open to receiving and giving blessings and light. In the first Eliyah in this Parsha, Ekev, Moshe reminds us, of the road we traveled. Hashem sent hardships to test you, to determine what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He made life difficult for you, letting you go hungry, and then he fed you the manna, which neither you nor your ancestors have ever experienced. This was to teach you that it is not by bread alone that man lives, but by all that emanates of Hashem's mouth. Rabnatan of Breslov elaborates on this verse, explaining that we learn here that sustenance comes from Hashem's blessings and by reciting the blessings over the bread and other foods, we invoke that blessing. And Moshe goes on to explain the important part in not blocking your blessing, which reads, Safeguard the commandments of the Lord your God, so that you will walk in His ways and remain in awe of Him. This all centers on emunah, faith and bitachon, trust, that when we experience hardship, we often don't have the ability to see it as something that is ultimately good, that everything is in the hands of Hashem and all is for the best. Mastering faith perspective and humility is not an easy feat. In fact, it's generally a lifelong struggle. A few years ago, I was struggling with one of the most difficult decisions in my life. I felt paralyzed by indecision. My friend showed me the famous painting depicting Hernan Cortez in the 16th century, the Spanish explorer, and the burning of his ships. Cortez arrived in the Americas with 600 men, and as he did, he made history by destroying the ships, sending a clear message to his men that there was no turning back. I learned from this that in order for blessings to flow, you have to move forward with faith and trust. And that's how to escape indecision, to allow yourself to believe that all you can do is go forward and put trust that Hashem will guide you toward what is best. Hasidic teachings refine the meaning of Hashkacha Prati, divine providence, defining it as Hashem's caring watchfulness and direct personal supervision of everything that exists. For humanity, hashkacha more specifically signifies Hashem's ongoing active participation in every aspect of our lives, providing each person with the necessary means to serve him and make his imminence the divine presence known in the world. This is most clearly apparent with regards to each person's livelihood. A person who has bitachon in Hashem, believing that Hashem alone provides for all of his needs, will earn his income honestly and make sure to set aside time for Torah, filah, prayer, and mitzvot, commandments. Further in this parasha, in the second aliyah, Hashem says, take care lest you forget Hashem by not observing the mitzvot, and warns against being lost in the accumulation of possessions, to the point that your heart turns haughty and you forget Hashem who took each of us out of Egypt from the house of slaves, thinking in your heart, my strength and the might of my hand made me this wealthy. Yalkut Yosef, quoting Orot HaMitzvah, explains the purpose of the brachot, the blessings, particularly berkat Mazon, the blessing after meals, to keep us mindful of Hashem's ever-present hashkacha, the next verse says, lest you eat and be full, and your heart will be haughty, and you will forget Hashem your God. It's in man's nature, once full, to forget who is the provider above all. Maybe we work for, acquired, and cook the food, but we can't ever forget who is the provider of all providers, from whom everything emanates and is created. We read here that we need to remove the thought that it all comes from our own efforts, because that is when ego manifests and holiness grows more distant. In order to ensure this not to be the case, We're commanded to bless Hashem and proclaim our love of Hashem, as it's written, For all is from you, and what we have given you came from your hand. This is spelled out in the following verse. Remember that it is Hashem your God who gives you the power to get wealth in fulfillment of the covenant that he made an oath with your fathers, as is still the case. This is an important lesson to giving proper respect to what form you, to have understanding and gratitude for people and forces to which you owe your life to. That kind of perspective is essential to creating a vessel that can receive one's proper share of the infinite light. The reverse of this, as Rabbi Nachman of Breslov articulates, is tavat mamon, the lust for money, which is most apparent in a person who makes it his life's mission to amass even greater wealth. Lacking emunah and Hashem, the person instead puts bitachon in money, mistakenly believing that the more he has, the more secure and fulfilling his life will be. A subtler form of tavat mamon is seen in someone who understands the foolishness of pursuing wealth but whose attachment to money makes them greedy. Lacking a generous spirit, the person finds it difficult to part with their wealth and so is stingy in giving charity and tight-fisted with strangers and family alike. A third, subtle but more common form of tawat mamon is when a person worries and grows anxious about not having enough money. His distress indicates a lack in his emunah and bitachon, an inability to rely on Hashem to provide him with the livelihood without him having to sacrifice his life to earn it. Working for myself, all my adult life, I was able to see Hashem's hand in my livelihood at all times. certainly could have stressed and lacked faith that I would be able to financially survive, but I knew from experience as an entrepreneur, especially when in sales mode, I could call a thousand people and not even close one deal, or I could call one person and close the one deal that was meant for me at that time. It doesn't mean that I'd put in less effort, but it did mean that I was able to take a step back and put trust into the Ashkaka Prati, or as some call, the universe. These experiences also taught me that being engaged in business is not all about finding the best strategies to receive. Acquiring has to be balanced with giving. Good things come from giving, community, love, and wealth. People want to give to those who give and often want to hold back from those that don't. To give or to love unconditionally requires emunah, which is a very tough practice, but is one that rewards the faithful and sometimes punishes the faithless. Further in Likute Maran, Rabbi Nachman teaches that money and dinim judgments share the same spiritual root on high. So for a person with tavat mamon, earning a living is fraught with hardship and difficulty. Just like Adam after the sin, the greedy person's sustenance comes through suffering and by the sweat of his brow. And so the more one puts into spiritual practice, the easier it is to gain material reality. Based on the Zohar, the Rebbe speaks of the desire for money as a sort of burning in the heart. And the advice for cooling the flame of money, lust, is to give one's money to tzedakah, to charity. Giving tzedakah creates a ruach, a spirit of generosity, a ruach, wind, that blows upon your heart and dampens both the burning desire for wealth and the divine wrath that it elicits. When a person is giving and goes about business with honesty and emunah, it furthers one's trust that all of their livelihood comes solely from Hashem. Ethics in earning a living are so essential that Chazal, our sages, teach, the first question a person is asked by the heavenly court after they pass away is, did you conduct your business be'emunah? Only those who lived life with emunah and bitachon will be able to answer in the affirmative. Natan, based on the Kutemaran, pleads with Hashem to help him engage in Ma'asa umatan be'emunah, the give and the take with faith. He asks to not weary his mind and earn a living while engaging in business, to be able to attach his thoughts to Hashem and to the holy Torah that is embedded within the give and take of business and the practice of one's worldly occupation. While certainly not comparing myself in any way to Natan. For the past two years, as I have devoted myself to learning Torah so that I could write these dvars and this five-book series, Light of Infinite, and at the time going to Shul saying Kaddish for my mom's aliyah and neshama, I have seen that the more I put in connecting with the Light of the Infinite, the easier the struggle in the space of finitude and finances have been. Opportunities now come to me and I choose whether I have the bandwidth taking into account the time I want to spend with my kids and the time I want to spend immersed in the Torah. The following is a story about the Alter Rebbe, also known as the Baal Atanya, as he wrote the Tanya, a Hasidic Sefer that is a constant inspiration to me. The Rebbe was once raising money for Jewish prisoners. He was headed to a town that was famous for a miser that lived within it. So stingy was this miser that even the lowliest beggars of the town would skip over his house. The miser was wealthy, but no matter the cause, he would refuse to give anything more than a single rusty copper coin, which even beggars would pass on as they found it insulting, especially from someone so well-to-do. The Alter Rebbe was greeted graciously by the community, but when he mentioned that he wanted to visit this house of the miser, they strongly suggested that he skip that house, as it would be a waste of his time. But the Rebbe was adamant, and so they wished him luck and provided him with two gentlemen to escort him throughout the journey. The next day, the three chassidim went to the mansion of the miser, and right before knocking on the door, the altar Rebbe turned to the two gentlemen and asked that throughout the visit that they make sure not to speak no matter what. So, they entered the mansion and sat in the beautiful front room. The owner came to greet them with a small velvet pouch that he fetched from his safe. And this rich man looked at the men and said, Oy, the suffering of the Jewish people, when will it all end? Here, Rabbi, take my humble donation. As the altar Rabbi took a single rusty copper coin, he smiled warmly and seemed very pleased. Their miser was astonished. He had never been met with anything but disdain for donating a single coin. The Alter Rebbe put the coin in his pocket and smiled again and in a beautiful and sincere tone said, Thank you, Mr. Solomon. May Hashem bless and protect you always. At this moment, the Alter Rebbe, as he normally would, wrote the miser receipt, a sort of note that included his blessings on it. He gave him the receipt, thanked him yet again, and shook his hand, looking into his eyes with admiration. Then he turned to the two gentlemen that had quietly accompanied him and said, We must be on our way. We have a lot of collecting to do tonight. As the three chassidim walked to the door, the altar rebbe turned one last time to wish a warm farewell to his host. Outside the house, the two gentlemen thought that they could finally speak their minds. One of them spoke up saying, you should have thrown it back in his face. But as they walked from the house to the front gate, the altar rebbe simply replied, don't turn around and don't say a word. So just then they heard the door opening behind them, the miser shouting, rabbi, is chassid, please come back for a minute. Hello, hello, please, I must speak to you. Please come back in. The Alter Rebbe gladly turned around to greet the miser yet again, while the other two gentlemen reluctantly joined him. They sat back down in the beautiful room, but this time the owner was pacing back and forth. He paused and looked at the Alter Rebbe and asked, Exactly how much money do you need to ransom these prisoners? The Rebbe replied, About 5,000 rubles. So the miser handed over 1,000 rubles from his stack of bills. The two gentlemen were completely astounded, never in their lives had they heard of the miser parting with anything more than a single worthless coin. They were so afraid that maybe he was taunting them that they didn't even look at his face. The rabbi warmly thanked Mr. Solomon, shook his hand, wrote yet another receipt, a note that included beautiful blessings. The tune of the gentlemen changed from frustration to disbelief. They looked at each other and said, that was a miracle. The Altarebbe reminded them to be still and be silent and to not turn around as they leave. As they approached the gate, they heard Mr. Solomon shout out yet again. This time he shouted, Rabbis, please, I have changed my mind. Please, come in once more, I want to speak to you. The two gentlemen were afraid at this point. As they entered the house a third time, the gentlemen's suspicions were proven correct, or so they thought. The miser looked at them and said, I have decided to give the entire sum needed for the prisoners and their ransoms. Here it is, 5,000 rubles. Please count it and see that I have not made a mistake. The rabbis had never witnessed such a miracle. They asked the altar Rebbe, how do you get the notorious miser to give 5,000 rubles? The Rebbe replied, that man is no miser, no Jewish soul truly is. But how could he desire to give if he never in his life experienced the joy of true giving? Everyone he gave that rusty penny to threw it back in his face. The miser was simply looking for someone to be grateful, as gratitude is a channel of receiving. It's the same with all of us as creations and how we need to align ourselves with our creator. We often beg or pray for so much but how often do we thank heaven for everything that we already have? The idea of saying a blessing over everything we do in Judaism, even a morsel of bread that we eat, is that the blessing brings in more blessings. When the miser saw that, finally, someone had thanked him for giving charity, even if it was a single simple coin, it inspired him to give more and more. This is how we have to live so that we remain humble and so that we become a vessel of blessing. The Arizal teaches that creation came about because Hashem had a desire to give. Therefore, the natural state of being is one in which chesed, the influx of Hashem's kindness, flows freely into the world, unhampered by either sin or dinim And though the state of being in Eden, depicted in Breshit, was ephemeral, and won't come about into reality until sinners have disappeared from the earth and the wicked cease to be, some of its concealment becomes revealed in small ways when we serve Hashem and do His will, as light begets light. This is done by constantly remembering as we have read very clearly in this parasha that our success is never our own. It is Hashem who wills our success and well-being. We need to put the work in to succeed, but we also have to remember the creator of all creations. And the more faith we put in, the clearer the light becomes for each of us.